and I would like to introduce you to Alan Watt. Alan, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be there. Hi, how are you? Not so bad. I'm keeping out of the rain. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, where are you? I'm in Ontario, uh, okay. quite a distance from Toronto North. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. And when you said that, I'm thinking, well, I'm in Wisconsin, and it's just been raining like the dickens here today. So. Same here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alan, um, how did you get into researching behind the scenes of, of government, and what what interested you into this? I uh, kind of grew up realizing that something was very wrong with our civilization for, from a very early age. Mm-hmm. And... I did. I was allowed access to adult libraries because uh, it was a bit of a head of the classes and so on. And so once I got into the old books, especially old reference books, and the old libraries, this is in Scotland, um, where they had books, some, some of them going back to the 1500s, mm-hmm. uh, I realized that what we're getting taught in school from five years on was a completely different version of what was written at the time. And so, uh, and I also knew from that that early that uh, we lived in a a very carefully designed and constructed system. And I wondered too, uh, in, in a mining community um, of thousands of people, after supposedly millions of years, this is what we're told of evolution. How come only uh, a, a few hundred families around London had all the wealth, and all the rest of the people had nothing? because they, they rented, most of Britain at that time rented their accommodation from the local councils. So the taxpayer built the houses, you might say, and then you, you rented them from them. And I, I, I could not figure out how a, a supposed British empire uh, could have the majority of people so poor. What happened to all the loot, you know? And, and sure enough, that, that's exactly how society was. It was uh, carefully constructed with uh, wages and prices uh, board at the top. They kept everything in such a balance that they knew what the average paid packet was, which did not vary much from a tradesman or a plumber to a miner across the country from north to south. Mm-hmm. And uh, that told me that there were minds behind it which, which planned this kind of structurized system. And sure enough, uh, that's how it is. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same in every country when you really get into the books. Mm-hmm. Every country is designed on the same uh, format, in fact, of the British system. And uh, the British system, the empire of Britain... Uh, this word that the British Empire or British Empire was first coined by John Dee, who was an advisor at the, the court of Queen Elizabeth I in the 1500s. And that's where this whole system began, really, or at least came out into the open, because that was a Rosicrucian court. That's when the Rosicrucians first uh, came out, and they, were, they surrounded the Queen, and uh, Francis Drake and Walter Raleigh, um, Francis Bacon, all the big boys in history were part of this Rosicrucian lodge at the court. And, and they, they combined the, the Kabbalah with Christianity at the time and uh, started to work out a destiny for a new British empire, which was to be based on free trade. This is 1500s. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they said was, was, was that they could take over countries um, and introduce their system, and through finance they would take over the country, uh, introduce the British system, and they would not leave that country until that system was established, and they'd set up a class system that would then run it, in, like a clone, you might say, of Britain. Well, we find that still the same today under the policies of uh, the, the NATO uh, Britain would not pull out of India and all of these other colonial countries until they'd set up a duplicate system in those countries. That, that's still part of their charter yet. Okay. So we're talking about a war, you might say, uh, for global empire, which is now using the term democracy. At that time, it was to be British, you'd be a British subject, subject to the, to the royalty. 
uh, they just changed the name over the the, the centuries to to uh, to democracy. I mean, the, the right for invading countries has been altered so many different times. The Romans said we're going in to civilize the barbarians, and then they, they looted the countries, of course. And we always use the same terms as to no, it's bring, to bring democracy to those countries. Uh, so this is uh, an ongoing structure of the British Empire. Then after John Dee, <coughs> uh, who, whose code name for, the, for Queen Elizabeth I, because he went abroad as an advisor and wrote, wrote back to her, his code number was 007. <laughs> that, that's where it came from, yeah. Okay. And, and uh, the next major character in history after Francis Bacon and Shakespeare uh, was, was when Cecil Rhodes came along in the, the 1800s and uh, pushed by, again, the British establishment, or royalty, you might say, he set up the Rhodes Foundation, which joined with the Milner Foundation under Lord Milner to carry on this expansion of the British Empire across the globe. Uh, and into the early 1900s, the, the, their international meetings, they decided that, that they'd have to pass the torch, as they called it, onto the U.S. to take over the job of finishing this global conquest and to bring in the, the standardized system across the whole world, either through the power of the purse, uh, through, through not allowing you to trade with, with them uh, if you wouldn't join their league. Um, so anyone who wouldn't join their league would be bypassed in trade, and they would force other countries uh, by this method to, to trade with them and, and buckle under to the same system. Those who wouldn't do it were to simply to be uh, eliminated by war and in the same democratic st uh, system instituted. And this is what we're seeing today in the Middle East is the, uh, the final conquest, we might say, of the last holdouts that have not joined the World Bank. We saw that with Yugoslavia. They hadn't joined the World Bank. They hadn't established a central banking system and a debt system. Uh, and, uh, and of course, we're seeing it in the Middle East with the Muslim countries. Uh, the first thing they did after taking over Iraq was to introduce a, a centralized bank attached to the World Bank. And then UNESCO went right in to get the first generation of children to teach them this new democratic system. So the world is being standardized, and those who sit and cheer it on or think it doesn't concern them are being foolish because, as Carl Quigley, the professor Carl Quigley said in his book, Tragedy and Hope, he said wars primarily are fought uh, to change culture. He says we can get more cultural changes done by government uh, and five years of war than 50 years of peace. And as you notice, every country in the planet have passed the same anti-terrorism bill, uh, which makes their, their, their subjects, their citizens, which are subjects, uh, beholden to the government for every right that they have. Uh -huh. uh, so this is to change the, the world society. Out of the New World Order, as George Bush Sr. called it, um, out of this New World Order will come an entirely new system where, uh, of uh, an authoritarian system with a sort of fascist elite at the top, uh, but, a, but a communist Soviet-style system of bureaucrats beneath them who will run and dictate to the public as to what they do and will not do, uh, right down to the, to the whole agenda where you will not be allowed to even pick a mate for marriage. That's where they're going with all of this. Um, and you think some, it'll be picked for you? Uh, I think if, if, if they think perhaps you're worthy, that's what the whole genetic uh, research has been about, full steam ahead for genetics. Mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, it's defined life extension for the elite, which they've openly admitted to. Uh, that, that was in uh, Charles Galton Darwin's book, The Next Million Years, mm -hmm. and he was a descendant of, of Charles Darwin. Um, in the 1950s, he wrote this book, and in that book, he said, we, the elite, shall not alter ourselves genetically or hormonally because we must guide planet Earth. However, we can destroy the individual survival mechanisms of the, the, the masses 
because they will not need that uh, ability to think for themselves. The state will be making all their decisions for them. That's the world they're bringing us into. He said we are now creating a new, more sophisticated form of slavery. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're really on, on, on a, a roll and... Uh, uh, everything's always pushed to us, at least to the masses, by the six o'clock news. Uh, everything that's dangerous to us is, is pushed with a plus. It's helping uh, invalids or helping whatever. And that's how they get through with their, their, their harvesting of organs and uh, fetal abortion tissue and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's going to be the same thing with the chip. They've already done it. In fact, they've introduced it with a quadriplegic and DARPA claimed responsibility for implanting his brain with a chip so that he could think and emails could be sent to certain people. And it worked 80% of the time, they claimed. So that's the sort of PR stunt they give you for taking a brain chip. And, and, and now they're teaching young engineering students, even at Princeton, that it would be nice to have uh, these chips inserted into your cerebral cortex, uh, which will help you communicate with others and you know, download music right into your head, basically. Oh, so yeah. this is getting pushed, yeah. They've had world meetings at Loyola University, uh, science meetings, uh, led by Newt Gingrich on this very subject of brain implants for the, major- for the masses. So the world they're going to bring out of this is not a world where you simply get a lot of cheap stuff thrown at you from China with masses of credit cards tossed all over the place. That world is to come to an end. And once the U.S.'s job is done, bringing in this new world order and paying for it in more ways than one, they will then be submerged into the world they have helped create. The standard, the standard of living will go down. And, of course, this, this border stuff is just old news to me because uh, Jack Zatali, who was the Kissinger of Europe, who spearheaded the European Union and who, who now works at the United Nations, he, he put a book out in 1990 uh, called uh, Millennium. The subtitle was Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order. And he gave the history, the, the history that would come up for America, the future, and he said the borders will eventually go down as, as, as Canada, the United States, Mexico, and other Latin American countries uh, uh, become one. And uh, there'll be a common currency, etc., etc. But he said the industry will be gone. And he said the next boat people will eventually be the Americans leaving uh, their country looking for work abroad. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Look how many jobs we're losing here all the time right now to... Uh mm-hmm. Illegal immigrants and everything else. So. Yeah, and, and yet, as I say, that was the plan that was written a long time ago. Karl Marx wrote about it in the 1800s. Okay. I, I united Europe and Das Kapital. Uh, it would begin with Europe. Uh, the next uh, continent to merge would be the Americas. And then there'd be, uh, and, and of course, the Europe was to expand all the way through, through into um, Russia, which it has. Mm-hmm. And they said the third uh, unit after Amer- the Americas will be the Pacific Rim region. So we're seeing it all right now. Mm. That's kind of scary, isn't it, how they can predict that? You, well, you, you simply make a plan and you make it happen. Mm-hmm. And that's how everything has been in history, really. You make a plan and you have the finances and the resources to, to make it happen. And since everything in this artificial system runs by money, then the big money boys can make anything happen. They can hire as many think tanks and, uh, as they wish and uh, have them working on different parts of a strategy. It's intergenerational and uh, it's very real, you know, and you can trace it. Yeah, yeah I, oh, yeah, it's amazing though. Back from the 1800s, it was already planned. In the 1500s, yeah. 1500s, I mean, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, it's even worse. It is worse, yeah. Oh. It is worse. Uh, so, so yeah, right now, even even uh, in, in the 1500s, John Dee, when he submitted his plan to Queen Elizabeth I, and as he coined the term uh, the, the British Empire, he said that uh, it would be based on free trade 
and countries which would trade with them and join would be given most favored nation status. And that's exactly what's written into the NAFTA agreements and the European agreements, the China agreements, is, is that very phrase. So it's been in use for 500 years behind the scenes. Mm. Yeah. That's just amazing. That is just amazing. Well, we're, see, we're supposed to float through our lives never really knowing what's going on and having our heads downloaded with trivia. Mm-hmm. And, and diversions, and we're led to believe by the 6 o'clock media uh, that gives most folk the reality. Uh, we're meant to believe that um, major events just happen out of the blue. They're just, uh, and the, the politicians just have to respond to it at the time. That's the biggest con game of, that's ever gone on. And, but most folk do believe the 6 o'clock news. Uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski wrote about this uh, in more than one book. But between two ages, he said that shortly, the general public will be unable to reason individually for themselves. He said they will acquiesce their ability to reason to the media, and they will accept that the media is there to do their thinking for them. And that has happened. Well, I I truly believe that the media only tells us what they want us to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, to me it's very frustrating. I won't even watch the news anymore because of the fact that it's so negative. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm so sick of that. I want to hear good things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, you you tell me, when when do you see good things on the news? Oh, they, well, they give us trivia stuff, which is supposed to be good, that doesn't affect anyone's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a psychological war that's going on, too. Um, if they give, give lots of bad news, there's always a spin to it because we're supposed to be terrified right now, which immobilizes people from thinking, doing, protesting, whatever. Um, it shuts them down. So that's when they give you lots of bad, nasty news. And that's when people also are willing to give up all their rights and freedoms. They've done so many ongoing polls and surveys that constantly do this to see how many people are ready to give up all their rights for freedom. So, so it's a tactic that's being used because the media is an arm of government. Yes, I truly believe that, yes. And I think that uh, the government totally, well, I would say probably controls, what, 99, maybe 98% of what comes out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh, the, the public gets, uh, see, to more, more, the whole idea is to shape your mind. Um, and give you an opinion. That's why they always bring two experts on with opposing opinions, the dialectic. And, and Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, who was a globalist and who worked for these big think tanks, he said the same thing. He said, um, he, he said that uh, they could fill the people's heads full of, of trivia, if need be, to occupy them or make them nervous and worried so they'll cling to the government when, when need be and allow the government to do what it wanted to. Mm-hmm. So he understood the, these techniques as well. He helped. He worked with Tavistock and, and uh, the real elite of Britain, and he was a lord himself, a British lord. Right. Uh, he, and the impact of science and technology, he, he wrote about the, the, this, this period of time we're in now, where he says methods will be used on the public which they're totally unaware of, where they will be given their opinions and they will truly believe and swear that they're theirs, that they came derived at those conclusions themselves. And that's the, the technique that, that's done all the time when they bring on the experts. He says that the public will be conditioned to ignore their own reason and sensibilities and, and, and they, they will be subservient to the experts. They will believe the experts. So when they bring out the experts, it's true enough, the public uh, turn off their censor department. They should censor different stuff, and, and they're downloaded with someone else's opinions, which they then parrot to others. Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's just a massive psychology is used, yeah. yeah. Do you really think, though, that, that people are giving up their um, own opinions and taking on an opinion because they saw it on TV? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, they show us here in Canada 
uh, ongoing polls are doing in America mm-hmm. and with the man in the street, for instance, or, and even university professors and students, and all their opinions are coming from the media. And uh, it, it's fascinating to listen to them uh, because they repeat it exactly as the media told them, uh, the, the words, the wording, the phrases, that, that type of thing. And, and what was fascinating here in Canada a couple of years ago, they showed us the inquiry, the official inquiry into uh, the invasion of Iraq. And George Bush was shown on television in Canada, CBC National Television, stating that he had never said that Saddam Hussein had anything to do with the, with the World Trade bombing. He said, but I think that the world is better off without him. That was his answer. That's why he went in it. That's his answer. The world is better off without him. And, and yet, that same show said that 65% of Americans had begun to think that, that Saddam Hussein was behind the bombing because of the media spin that had been put on. Hmm. Yeah. That was on national television here. Wow. See, I don't, I don't think we've, we've had anything. Whether, I don't think they're doing those polls here in, in the United States, are they, and making us aware of that? No, they're doing the polls in the U.S. and telling us about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how it's done. Of course, the polls are done in Canada. They'll probably tell Britain or some other country. But, uh, but yeah, they, they exposed all of that, 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 that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11, and it was just that Bush wanted them out the way because he was a nasty man and the world was a better place without him. Mm-hmm. That was his excuse. And, of course, we know it's nonsense because Bush and Cheney and Wolfowitz and Pearl and all the, the rest of these biggies um, uh, exposed their plan in the 90s, early in 92, with their first part of the agenda, the, 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 the policy for a new American century. They published it uh, with the need to go into Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, uh, Syria, um, in that order. So, so they published it, and then they redrafted the same thing again in 98 and published it again. And then Brzezinski said that she needs something on a Pearl Harbor event to, make, to get the public opinion behind them for this war. And lo and behold, and that was in 98, he published his book. So lo and behold, they, they get 9-11 comes along exactly 10 years after uh, the, the senior had given his first world, uh, world order speech. It was on September the 11th in 1990, and then he gave it again in September the 11th, 1991. Uh-huh. They love these symbols, you see. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that is just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There, there are no surprises if you simply study history. You have a memory. You're not content to let the media uh, give you part of a story. You go looking for the other parts. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. And it makes sense. And just so you know, we still do not have a feed. We're not hooked up to Lou down mm-hmm. there. So right now, it is still just conversation between you and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're okay with this. I'm fine, yeah. Okay. Because I'm really enjoying this. I'm learning a lot from you. And hopefully, I'm hoping last night, I don't know what happened, but after the first hour, it picked up. Mm-hmm. And the second hour was all played. And I know we've got some, your friends are in the chat room. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's Molly and um, Jackie and Gio, and I know they're all mad at me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they they said that this has happened before when you've been on Lou's show or something. Uh, this happens to me. Yeah, this type of thing happens. I get all kinds of strange problems. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk again. So fill me in. Tell me some more stuff because you are just fascinating, and you've got a lot of great stories. I know you do. Yeah, uh, we, we can see a lot of this happening. That this the, this whole plan to bring in a, a, a unified world, uh, going back to the 1500s, picking up speed towards the 1700s with all the different rebellions that broke out. Um, most of these rebellions actually work towards the creating of this new world ordered structure. 
and um, that's what they say in even in Freemasonry that the old system always becomes corrupt and rebellion breaks out and then it gives birth to something new but what they don't add to that is they control it from its conception uh, all through and they guide it uh, through the future to where they want to take it um, so with all the different rebellions that we saw in the, the 1700s well Britain actually had the first one they had the English rebellion and then you had uh, America or, or the US and then you had the French Revolution right after that and these were the main revolutions uh, they were followed up of course in the 1800s uh, with the, the Italian Revolution uh, when Bonaparte was uh, pushing towards that direction from France so, but through revolutions they would bring in the world into this new world order and, and of course the followers they always need the masses of people to fight for them towards their agenda thinking it's going to free them they're all told this and yet their ultimate goal is to be a scientifically run society uh, where uh, reason will prevail and it's taken for granted amongst the elites that the lower orders, the common people common means intermarrying you don't, you're not married, you're not mated up uh, by genetics as nobility are they have, they have their wives and husbands chosen for them through their, through their genealogies so the common people um, uh, basically don't have reason that's what they claim we're too stupid to run ourselves so it's to be a, a dictatorial society that they're, they're going to bring out of all this and then they'll introduce the uh, different kinds of chips up leading to a brain chip which they have ready and this was admitted at the Loyola meeting uh, which will link you to a regional computer which I presume are up and at the meeting they said all they have to do now is convince the public to accept it uh, and they said they would push it through kindergarten as a positive thing it would be in cartoons and sure enough now there's cartoons out with the little heroes having brain chips and, and special powers it would be promoted through movies and, uh, and novels and this is how they'll, they'll make this a, a positive thing to get however they don't tell you the truth that once all the people have this chip one day they'll pull the main lever and there's no more you uh, at, the, at that Loyola meeting the scientist, the top one for Japan who designed this particular chip which has a coating of uh, a sort of human protoplasm around it so that it can literally put out tendrils that will work into your nervous system or combine with the nerves, send signals through your nerves to your brain and it can also transmit them back out again this is, this is ready to go he said um, that this, this will be the end of individuality he said it will be more like a beehive where you hear the buzzing of information coming through your fellows around you as it goes between the central computers, the regional computers and back uh, and, and immediately he said that I thought he's talking about the Borg in Star Trek because uh -huh. that's how they were well that's, that's the world that they're bringing to pass and it's so amazing how the elites always blame the common people for wars Yet I don't know a common person who has the finances or the power to, to, to get, get a war started. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just put the superpowers, you know, President Bush and whoever, and just let them fight it out and leave us out of it? And that's, that's how it should always be, uh, as long as we didn't have to suffer for their wins or their losses. And I, I would just give the winner a coconut or something. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the loser gets what a walnut. <laughs> yeah, I give him a walnut or a banana or <laughs> and a little pitcher and, and one of these little rosettes you stick on horses when they win prizes. Oh, there you go. That would look so cute. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. Then then they can be proud of themselves and and uh, their ego would be intact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. hmm. But you see, they depend on us. The the, the ones that they hate breeding the offspring which they can then use to further their agenda and, and this is quite amazing you know uh, they understand this and it's a science all these things are, are sciences which have been understood for thousands of years they know that people uh, have tribal instincts 
regardless of the society you live within, you have natural tribal instincts. And when the tribes attacked, the men will stand up and look for the enemy, uh, like fight or flight syndrome. Uh, the, the women uh, will demand that this happen, and the women too, unfortunately, will demand that they, they will undergo all the rights for safety and peace and security, which is all the poll testing they did after 9-11. I think 70% of all women said they'd give up all their rights and freedoms. So these are tribal instincts which are being used now against us by the leaders of nations. And they know how to get the young guys at 18, 19, and 20 who are full of hormones and no sense. They have no idea that they could possibly die one day because it's a foreign thing to them. You know, really old people die. It's always someone else. And so they're all gung-ho to go off and fight whoever they're told to fight. They don't really need much of a reason. So we breed the can fodder that enables these big boys to get their plans through. We breed them in every generation. And you'll find they always give about 20 years between wars uh, to breed another, another bunch that don't know any better. They have no memory of the last one. So these are techniques have, that have been used successfully to bring in this, this agenda, this new world order. And they're standardizing the planet into one system. That's why the United Nations is the French word. UN is UN for one. That's what it means. We all become one. And, and if you go into the, the League of Nations Charter, the precursor of the United Nations, they had all the same boards on them as they do today in the UN. They have departments of population control uh, and all of this, a whole tiers and tiers of bureaucracies that are matched to your national bureaucracies. In fact, your national bureaucracies bypass the politicians and go straight to their counterparts at the UN all the time. They've been doing that since 1917, when the League of Nations was running. So uh, the politicians are more front men for the public to believe in, but the, these lifelong bureaucracies know what their part in this agenda is, and they work with their cohorts at the United Nations to bring in the world agenda. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, every, every building code that you have in America and Canada and in Britain and everywhere, from plumbing to electrical to septics to, to the types of timbers to be used, and the woods, everything comes from the United Nations now. Your water rights, uh, all the different rights that you have come from the United Nations. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it is set up to be the world government. Now, they've done a great job in propagandizing the, the UN as this, uh, uh, this blustering bunch that just can't get an army together kind of stuff. And, and when they do get a ragtag army out of different countries to help them, we get nice PR pictures where they hand out bread and things, you see. So that's why they call a soldier a peacekeeper. All down through history, invading armies have always changed terminology of reality. And, and so a, a soldier that's dressed like a soldier is still a soldier when he's got grenades around his belt and a machine gun in his hand, but you call him a peacekeeper. The change in terminology gives you a different perception of what's actually happening. Okay. So these are all sciences that are being used, manipulated against the public themselves. Because the function of the UN is not to hand out bread and take PR shots with children. The function of the UN is to get ultimately the world army, the sole world army, and to have the sole agency on the planet entitled to use force. Uh-huh. And that's also part, and they've written about it massively extensively. And, and this will come to pass. But all this build-up in the Middle East is quite fascinating because this is the Third World War that's to change the world. And uh, that's why Israel was put in there and Britain put them in, you know. Britain diverted uh, thousands and thousands of the troops from the trenches in World War I and put them way over down to fight Turkey or, or the Ottoman Empire that then ruled Palestine. And, uh, and, and that's how we got a hold of Palestine. And then under um, Lord Curzon, uh, who was the he was the British head for the whole of Palestine for about 15 years, 
they brought in the, the immigrants from Russia, mainly Russian Jews, put them in, in, in that area to build up in preparation for creating an, an Israel. And he wrote his memoirs about all this stuff. They noticed another high British lord. You know. So this was all constructed. Frank right now here on Wanda.fm, Paranormal Channel. And we will be back, and I want you to finish this thought, okay, Ellen? So don't, yeah. don't lose it. Sure. We will be back on Wanda.fm after this break. Okay. Well, I think we have to uh, all get along in, in this day and age. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. We, we have to because, you know, speech at the moment and knowledge is the only thing that we can legally put out there at the moment. And I think the day will end uh, where it's all stopped. It will come. Right, and see, that's, that's the thing is, you know, they think that I'm trying to block you. And I, I wouldn't dream of that, and neither would Lou. Uh -huh. You know, that's what that's what this, this station is about, is freedom of speech. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. we want to get it out there. Yeah. So. That's all we have. There's nothing else, because uh, I looked at all the laws that have been passed in all of the countries. Same laws, same bills. It's probably sitting by, written by the same bureaucrats for the planet. And if they, if they enforce a fraction of those laws, we're in big trouble. I think it's important that people realize the thread of a plan, uh, the evidence of it, not just suspicion. It's not conspiracy theory. If you know where to look, you'll find the books written by the people themselves who, who helped to implement this, uh, these plans right. and brought them up to where we are today. Mm -hmm. So I and I, I've noticed the media too. Uh, they've coined the term conspiracy theorists, mm -hmm. and I always go on shows and I say I'm not talking about uh, conspiracy theory. I'm talking about uh, you know published fact. Right. Uh, that's the difference. It's not the conspiracy theory is almost like a new type of hobby. You think if you listen to the radio. One.fm, the paranormal channel. My name is Carrie Stone. Welcome to the Lou Gentilly Show. I'm here filling in for Lou Gentilly until further notice. Lou heard his back on May 24th in an industrial accident, and he had back surgery at the end of June. So I am here filling in in the big chair. And tonight I have just a wonderful guest with me. His name is Alan Watt, and he is just full of information, and he is just a joy to listen to. And he's a whole lot smarter than I am, so I'm just sitting back and listening to to his thoughts and theories. And and um, Alan, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad to have you here tonight. Yeah, it's uh, as I say, it's 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 good to have outlets and, and at least be able to put out information, which is important now because. It's time that people realize that nothing that's happening today is happening by chance. Uh, it's planned that way. And all the major events in history always find are planned uh, this way, way in advance. Mm -hmm. Because wars, etc., create changes across the world. And uh, governments take over more of the rights of the public and, and then can change social patterns. Uh, 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 for instance, in World War II, Britain went into a war supposedly to fight uh, national socialism, and yet they took over the farming industry during the war, all manufacturing during the war. Uh, everybody had ration books, and they had uh, um, fixed wages and income, or fixed prices. Uh, and they emerged from World War II with all of this massive layers of, of bureaucracy above them, and, and they ended up being a nationalist socialist country, the very thing they supposedly were fighting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, uh, Winston Churchill, who is famous for his, his speeches, that he had some of the best speechwriters really around. And uh, he, he made all these big speeches about uh, to fight on the beaches and uh, we shall never surrender and, uh, and, uh, and we must fight to, to retain our culture and our way of life. Mm -hmm. And now, 50 years later after the event, um, his personal secretary during those war years 
has come out with a book which is allowed now because the Official Secrets Act has lasts about 50 odd years so his personal secretary has come out who's also a sir you know and and uh, he said that, that uh, uh, when he was in with his peer group in the evenings because they had big boozing parties in the evening uh, Winston Churchill was famous for that he was always declaring that this war was the best thing that ever happened because we shall establish our long-planned dream of a united Europe. And this is from the diaries of the personal secretary. So he's telling the public the one thing, that they're, they're trying to keep their independence and fight the Germans. Uh, what he's telling all his peer group, other lords and earls and sirs, that it was the best thing that ever happened because they get a united Europe out of it, which is the same idea that Hitler wanted was a united Europe. <laughs> Wow. So we're conned by the people they give us uh-huh. as leaders. And again, this is all science. You go back to the, the writings of uh, Tacitus and, and Roman historians who recorded these techniques being used on the public of Rome. Nothing has changed, you know. In fact, many of the speeches that they were given to the public, you just change the names and you hear them today. The same kind of speeches, yeah. Very true. Mm-hmm. Now you know where all those great speeches are coming from. They're just reusing them. They reuse them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why change something if it works? Yeah. Very true. Very mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I never even thought about that. And you see, it's all psychology. A person comes to a conclusion by not just by the information you impart to them, but by the sequence in which you impart it. Because we work just like computers. And if you were to take, say, a, a, a computer programmer uh, who understands that computer, now he, he knows its logic, you see, mm-hmm. and he knows the language of that computer. So if you ask the programmer a particular problem to solve, he can tell you what that, that computer must answer uh, due to knowing its language and its program. And we are the same way. So when we are fed uh, supposedly facts in a certain sequence of events, we will come to a predetermined conclusion and we will think that we arrived at that conclusion by ourselves. These are sciences that are well understood. Hmm. Mm -hmm. See, I don't work that way. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why, why, Why don't I... Well, I, th- I think part of it, I think those people who still have retained natural intuition, uh-huh. and intuition um, is one of your main survival mechanisms. Uh, it warns you, even if you don't know the data or all the facts, it warns you when something just is wrong. And, and that's why you won't swallow it. Now, it's interesting that in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the Tavistock Institute in England, which, which led the world on methods of mind control, still up and running today, it led the world with uh, even implants and brains back in the 50s. And Aldo Huxley, that wrote Brave New World, admitted that he worked for the Tavistock Institute. Um, what they wanted to do was literally, as I say, destroy, they had world meetings about this, how could they get a docile, peaceful mass population for the majority of the public and they concluded that most of the trouble they had uh, controlling the public or managing them was was from independent choices that the the people could make decisions they could arrive at and at their own that would cause conflict, so how do you remove, remove the conflict, well if they could find that part of the and they knew where it was in the 1950s mm-hmm. and, and they could destroy that part of the brain then they could literally destroy your ability for self-preservation but as Charles Galton Darwin said which I mentioned already um, he said the public won't need that they won't need that anymore because the state will be making all their decisions for them now if we follow that up this agenda with the, the book written by Arthur Kostler uh, it's called Ghost in the Machine. 
Uh-huh. Uh, now, he was a professor at a uh, university in, in uh, New York, and he was brought over from the Soviet uh, regime to work there. Uh, he had been an officer under Stalin at one point. And in the 50s and 60s, he worked at uh, New York for the United Nations as well in a think tank, finding ways to destroy that and localize that part of the brain that makes you an independent thinking being. And, and he wrote a book about it. And he praised the, their, their, their success at that time. He said, we can do it today if we, through inoculations, we can literally target a specific part of the brain which will, uh, uh, which will um, cause a fever. Well, that's what you see with children after they get their shots. Uh, the fever is localized in their brain that's where the heat all is. That means that cells are being destroyed through inflammation. And, and that's what we're seeing now with, with the attention deficit disorders, autism, all, of the, uh, all this, this new category of problems that never existed before and that now are normal, the, the new norm. And, and Kessler thought this was just wonderful. He said we can do it through inoculation now, it's successful. We can do it through putting something in the food. Well, they've modified all the food. He said we can spray it from the air or put it in their water. That was their only, their only problem, was how to, how to do it en masse to the public. So uh, I think the inoculations were the main methods that they, they went ahead and, and, and did it. So he wrote this book called Ghost in the Machine. People should read it. Uh, he worked for the United Nations on ways to lobotomize your brain. <laughs> and... and and in the last chapter, he sums it all up, and, and he was all for it. He thought it was wonderful, and it would give us world peace. So you're saying with inoculations, mm-hmm. the shots that we get against polio and measles yeah. and mumps and all that stuff, mm-hmm. there's something else in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even even here in Canada a few years ago, uh, we, we have this, this man in, in Canada that we've all grown up with called Peter Mansbridge. Mm-hmm. He's a sort of Dan Rather for Canadians. And they're paid such massive amount of money so that you do grow up with them. And they call him now the most trusted man in, in Canada, you see, because we've got to believe what he says or it doesn't work. Uh, he was talking on his usual readings dummy board one night and it broke away to two men at a map two men with a UN symbol next to them and, and an interviewer asking them why they had, they had done what they'd done to, to these women in India and Africa. It turned, and it was so jumbled it was hard to catch what it was about because it didn't give you an intro from Peter Mansbridge to the subject. It, it just got in there somehow. And it turned out, and this came out afterwards, that the United Nations had authorized free uh, tetanus shots to women in India and Africa and these particular shots have nothing to do with tetanus uh, they had uh, hormones injected into them and, and piggybacked on the hormones was a, a particular uh, necrosing agent, an agent that would cause death of tissue it targeted, it went straight to the ovaries and sterilized millions of women now this is this has been it was in India and Africa. Now this this has been admitted since by the United Nations that they did do that deliberately. But do you think something like that would ever happen in the United States or Canada? Why should why shouldn't it? You see, that's we we keep thinking that somehow these same people that kind of look like us, these guys who decide these things, must be the same as us. These are internationalist elitists that don't see you differently from the peasant in China or anywhere else. Hmm. And the IQ level, now you're born with an innate IQ. Mm-hmm. They've dropped it about five points in the last 15, 20 years. We have a, a new norm for the same IQ test because the IQ has suddenly just dropped. Well, nothing suddenly just ha- happens in nature. There's a, there's a reason for it. And, and the only thing that's altered is the amount of inoculations that, that babies are getting from a very young age. Hmm. So this is ongoing. And the public are not supposed to, to, to know. And if you do suspect it, you'll say, no, they'd never do that to us. 
well, why, why wouldn't they? Why would they write about it, have world meetings about it, and then not do it? I, I, I keep telling people um, the World Health Organization has a, another department called the World Population Control Council. Now, they have meetings. They're full-time employees. They don't sit there on their hands making a wish list of what they'd like to do. They're employed to put into action what they want to do. How do you know about this department? Uh, it's, it's published. You can find it. Sometimes they even make statements. Every, every April or so, they come out with the new uh, world population figures for the different countries, and, and that's coming from that, that department. They publish it in the newspapers every year. Hmm. Every year, across your main radio or television across the planet, they, they give off all the statistics for different countries. And I think it was last year, they, they're always giving you the sperm count of males in the Western world. And what they said last year was the sperm count of the male now in, in, in the U.S. and Canada was down by 75% of what it was in 1950s level. I think in Britain it was down 85%, so the men are almost almost sterile. Is that the... well, not all men. No, but they're almost, almost getting to work. And even yet, the fastest growing industry are, are fertilization clinics, you know. Now, now, the thing is, too, what happens from 1950 to today to start bringing down the sperm count in males? And why doesn't the UN, as they give you these statistics, rattle off something else like this is a crisis situation? Well, it's not a crisis situation, and they don't comment on it. They just give you the statistics because they know it's part of the plan. That's why. Okay. Hold on. We're going to play... Uh we're going to go to break for just a couple minutes, and we'll be right back here on the Lou Gentilly Show, 1.fm, the Paranormal Channel. All we're going to do is go to break. We're not even going to take a long break. We're just going to play Lou's intro because I, we just talked right through the commercial. You're taping this, so I thought you might want that. Mm-hmm. Okay. 